One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I'm Courtney Eck. And we are excited to be here with you today. I hope everybody's in a mood to be super bummed out. Woo! Because this one is a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem with this. <laughs> this, one's do. A, this one's a super bummer. Uh, this is one okay. that's really going to stretch your reaction vocabulary because... Okay. It's a hella bummer. All right. So we can all agree if I just sit here quietly, it's because I have run out of words to describe that I'm really sad. Yes. It is the hardest thing about doing this, reacting to horrible things. Okay. In an interesting way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go. Let's do it. All righty. So tonight I'm going to talk about two cases, actually. And both of these cases revolve around avoidable hospital deaths. Oh, no. I know. If that doesn't give you the damn heebie-jeebies, I don't know what. (sighs) So I do want to say real quick that this episode is dedicated to our listener, Nicole. I actually originally posted this first case I'm going to talk about on our Instagram just as, uh, you know, just as a post to kind of talk about this horrible thing that happened to this woman. And uh, Nicole read it as a new episode and was like, oh, I'm so glad you're doing this case. And I was like, well, you know what? why not? <laughs> why not go ahead and do it as a case and not just a post? So thank yeah. you, Nicole, for being vocal, for interacting with us. And as a result, here's the case of Anna Brown. On September 21st, 2011, 29-year-old Anna Brown checked into the emergency room of St. Mary's Health Center in St. Louis, Missouri, complaining of severe pain in her legs to the point that she was having extreme difficulty walking. She had recently sprained her ankle and had already been to two other hospitals that week to seek treatment for the pain she'd been experiencing in her legs since. Unfortunately, by entering that emergency room on that day, she set in motion a chain of events that would result in her untimely and totally avoidable death by the hands of the people whose only jobs were to protect her. (laughs) Anna was one of 10 children and had her first child when she was 18. She had a daughter nine years later, and raising the two on her own became exponentially harder when her home was destroyed by a tornado on New Year's Eve 2010. What? I know. That's awful. She was able to relocate, but soon after that, she lost her job at a sandwich shop and all of her utilities were turned off, leaving she and her children living in squalor and struggling to get by. No. You guys, it's very hard to be poor. Very, very (laughs) very expensive to be poor. It's the worst. Yep. Quote, in April, a state children's division representative found Anna's toilet filled with feces. Burn marks scarred the floors and sinks where Brown had used small fires to stay warm. One refrigerator could not be opened. Insects and rotting food filled another, according to the state reports. 
quote, Anna was not lucid and seemed confused as Berkeley police arrested her for paternal neglect. The courts awarded legal custody of the kids to the children's division. They told Anna's mother she could have custody of the children, but her daughter Anna would not be permitted to stay with them. Anna was arrested for paternal neglect and her home was condemned. When Anna was released from prison, she had nowhere to go, and so she lived between the streets and four homeless shelters over a period of four months. Man. I know. Well, I can understand if she was arrested for abuse, Mm -hmm. you know, like physical or emotional or mental abuse, I could understand them wanting to keep her from her children, but she was quote unquote neglecting them because she was poor. Right. No, we need to stop punishing people for being poor. Right. And so then to keep her from shelter, (laughs) you know, crazy where she could maybe go live with her mother, get back on her feet, spend time with her children. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. At first she was allowed to visit her kids at her parents, but her visits were eventually terminated when she told her children they didn't need to listen to their grandparents and called the police to report they were being abused. Police found no evidence of abuse, and Anna was allowed to continue to see her children, but only during supervised visits at the Children's Division of Family Services. Anna began the process of reuniting with her children and passed two drug tests, but refused to take others, questioning why they needed to see more when she'd passed the first ones. Quote, she felt that she had passed them, so there was no point in doing them again, her mother said. The court soon ordered a psychological evaluation for Anna to find out if she had cognitive, developmental, behavioral, or mental illnesses, but it came back inconclusive. The court requested additional tests to see if she'd benefit from medication or a doctor's care, but she refused, not understanding why she needed to take more tests when she completed the first round. So it just sounds like she's like, I, but I already did that. Why do right. you know? Mm-hmm. Why do you keep asking me to do it again? Right. I already did it not understanding it was a different round of tests. Mm -hmm. Luckily, she joined the St. Louis Empowerment Center on her own, which was a drop-in center for the mentally ill. Quote, it was like a light bulb went on when she heard others tell their stories, said Kevin Dean, a peer specialist at the center. She was just starting to make progress. Her caseworkers reported that she was quick-witted and great at breaking the ice in group sessions with her funny comments, and she was starting to come out of the fog she'd been in for so many months. Unfortunately, around this time, Anna badly sprained her ankle while walking in a ditch, and the last time the Empowerment Center staff saw her in August, she couldn't walk up the stairs. Mm. On September 13th, Anna was admitted to St. Mary's for treatment of her ankle and underwent an EKG, some radiology services, lab work, and cardiovascular services. She stayed for three days, and quote, she wasn't very eager to go home, but we do all we can to take care of the whole patient and we want to make sure that we do not push someone out the door as soon as they come here, said SLU spokeswoman Laura Keller. She said there was no indication of a blood clot in Brown's leg at that time. Her sister Crystal picked her up from the hospital and dropped her off downtown where Anna requested she be left. Later, Anna's mother insisted Crystal go back to find her and bring her home because it was pouring rain, but Crystal was unable to find her. Four days later, Anna saw her children for the last time under supervision and was on crutches for their final visit. On September 20th, Anna went to St. Louis University Hospital complaining of severe pain in her knee and ankle. They didn't find anything on the x-ray of her knees, so she was given pain medication and released to go home. Anna refused to leave, insisting the hospital take her pain more seriously, and police were finally called around 5 a.m. Anna said she wanted to be transported to a better hospital, but refused to go in an ambulance. She then wheeled herself to a pediatric hospital and asked for care. Man. I know. Doctors said she reported experiencing tenderness in her legs, but said they couldn't treat her as it was a hospital for children. She insisted she still needed treatment, and so an ambulance was called and transported her to St. Mary's. So these are two different hospitals, just to be clear. St. Louis University and then St. Mary's, which is where she started. She arrived back at St. Mary's around 11.45 a.m. Her ankle was swollen and she was given ultrasounds, which came back negative for blood clots. A nurse claimed she saw Anna stand up at one point and a social worker gave her a list of phone numbers for shelters and transportation. She returned eight hours later, this time complaining of abdominal pain only. She again refused to let them discharge her, but was discharged at 7 a.m. Around 10 a.m., 
A police officer was at St. Mary's responding to another call when a security guard approached him and said a woman was claiming she, quote, did not receive adequate medical attention and did not have to leave. The officer found her in a wheelchair outside of the hospital where she claimed she was waiting for a ride. Police said she must remain outside of the hospital or he would arrest her for trespassing. Quote, you can't arrest me. I know my rights. I can't even stand up, Anna yelled, according to police. The officer then claimed he waited three hours for a doctor to examine Anna to determine if she was medically well enough to go to jail. What? Yes. And I don't, yeah. And I don't know if, you know, she went back into the hospital and then they're like, well, we're going to take you away. But regardless, she sat there for three hours. Wow. And so did the police officer. A doctor issued a quote, fit for confinement report at 1230 p.m., and Anna was taken into custody. Mm-mm. Inspectors later. Go ahead. I just, it's. Uh, I know. Like that, that officer had nothing better to do. Right. Than to sit there for three hours. Right. Like, God, give me a fucking break, man. Like, come yeah. on. Do you know what you could have done in that time? Maybe researched mental health facilities. Right. Researched homelessness crisis right you know blood clot treatments talked intervened been a mediator between the hospital and this person who's clearly in distress right what do you need can i get you yeah a warm bath yeah like she's sitting there she's clearly in pain she's been in for treatment recently right you know she's not doing anything wrong right she just won't leave well, and the idea that you could trespass in a hospital when you're demanding care is just exactly bonkers. Like, exactly, who's to decide? Right. Like, that's the whole purpose. Yeah, it's and to be arrested for it. Is to be arrested. It's fucking bullshit. I'm not. I'm not happy. No. Right now. No. It's. It gets much worse. Mm-hmm. Inspectors later found that the police reports didn't line up with the report from the county medical examiners in the following ways. Police and medical examiner reports based on interviews from that day, quote, St. Mary's staff is saying Brown did complain of leg pain on her return visit, not just abdominal pain. A St. Mary's nurse told the medical examiner that Brown was still complaining of leg and abdominal pain at 1240 p.m. Quote, she was advised that she had already been treated and needed to leave the hospital. Police said the doctor's, quote, fit for confinement decision was made at 120 p.m., not 1230 p.m., Police also said Brown yelled, quote, my legs don't work as they wheeled her after the exam. She reportedly swore at the officers on the way to the station and insisted they produce a wheelchair to wheel her into the jail as she couldn't put any pressure on her legs at that point. Instead of finding a wheelchair to help transport her, police dragged her into the station by her arms. Mm-mm. They listed, quote, suspected drug use as Brown's physical state and, quote, unknown leg pain under medical notes. No. Police then carried her into a cell by her arms and legs, and her condition continued to worsen. Mm -mm. She's seen moaning and moving on surveillance tapes until around 2 p.m., still clearly in a ton of pain. Quote, a dispatcher with East Central Dispatch zoomed a surveillance camera in and out on Brown because it was, quote, difficult to determine if the prisoner was still breathing later due to the pixelation grain on his monitor, police report. What? I... Yeah. I... Wow. uh, Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's... God. Oh, I I don't have the words. I want to say lots of curse words right now. We have lost so, so desperately lost track of the whole point of being a human being on this earth in this country. Right. Right. It's yes. to take care of each other. It's to make sure that we as a society stay safe mm-hmm. and productive mm-hmm. and police are employed to take care of, to make us safe. Hospitals are employed to make us healthy. And why, why do you think that you have to punish people? You know, that's right. unbelievable. 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 Even if she had shot a bunch of people in the hospital but was in some kind of distress as a prisoner, you still have to make sure she's alive. Right. Right. Yes. You just got to get up and walk in the room and check if she's breathing. I, I don't know. Zoomy, zoomy, zoomy. Nope. Can't mm-hmm. tell. Just 15 minutes later, a jail worker found her unconscious and unresponsive. 
Responders tried to revive her with a defibrillator and CPR, and she was rushed back to St. Mary's by ambulance. Medics were unable to revive Anna, and just hours after being determined fit for confinement, Anna Brown was pronounced dead. Oh, God. I mean, like, seriously, what the fuck? A conversation was recorded between the fire chief and an officer as they packed up the emergency equipment in Anna's cell. Quote, we got a fit for confinement on her a half an hour ago. I mean, literally a half hour ago, we brought her in here. Where at? Hogan asked. St. Mary's. What was, uh, any problems at all? No, they thought she was a drug seeker. Well, that could very well be. And that's a shame. Mm. Police Chief Major Roy Wright defended the officers saying, quote, a lot of times people don't want to stay in jail and will claim to be sick, he said. We depend on medical officials to tell us they're okay. Fair. That's a mm-hmm. fair point. Similarly, the dispatch manager said, quote, it's not unusual to have someone lay there lethargic, he said. If he felt it was more severe, he would have called. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. I know. I know. I, I get it. I mean, I'm sure you go to prison, you're not bouncing around, but he, they dragged her in there. It's right. a very different scenario. Well, and she was so lethargic that he couldn't tell if she was breathing. It's right. not just like laying around and not wanting, like, right. He thought she wasn't breathing. Well, and they placed her on the floor. They didn't put her on a cot or a sh- bunk or whatever. They, yeah, they brought her in there and they laid her right in the middle of the floor. And She's there she stayed not and garbage. she died 15 minutes later. <sighs> yeah. I know. Ultimately, staff at St. Mary's failed to diagnose deep vein thrombosis or mm-hmm. blood clots in her legs, which is a treatable but very life threatening condition. Once Anna was in her jail cell, the clots broke loose and traveled to her lungs, suffocating her. Mm. All nine of Anna's siblings met up at St. Mary's and waited 45 minutes for a doctor to finally inform them that their sister was dead. You are kidding me. No. Quote, they told us she came in from the jail unresponsive, and we don't know what happened, Anna's sister, Crystal Brown, recalled. Anna's mother was informed that she can't access Anna's medical records without proving a legal right to them, which is so fucked up. What? Yeah, and refused to give up. So she tried to get her medical records, and they were like, prove it. She's her mother. Seriously. You or mother should have permanent legal access to your medical records, right? There's got to be like HIPAA rules that include like when someone dies, this is who gets the records. Right. Like, should have access to them, especially in case. Ugh. I know. <sighs> Quote, yeah. when you lose a child, it's like a part of you you will never, ever get back, Davis said. It's like a part of your soul. A part of you is totally gone. And when you don't know why, you keep wondering. You just keep guessing. Anna's diagnosis was sort of puzzling because she didn't fit a lot of the criteria for people who develop DVT. Generally, people are immobile, but Anna was on the move constantly due to her houselessness. Factors that could have led to the blood clots were her weight and the ankle trauma, obviously being the big Mm -hmm. contributing factor. Quote, the body responds to trauma by revving up the coagulation system to prevent the individual from bleeding to death from the trauma, Dr. Samuel Goldhaber said. But half the time, DVT is silent and there are no symptoms whatsoever. Quote, in most cases, diagnosed patients take blood thinners and walk out of the hospital, said Dr. Elliot Hott, an emergency medical expert for John Hopkins Medicine. Relatively small periods of immobility can potentially cause DVT, Hott said. Not every test is 100%, but if you do the test and you see the veins you're supposed to, you shouldn't miss it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I'm not a doctor, but sure sounds like she had blood clots. Like, (laughs) you know, like, as you're telling the story, Mm -hmm. that's... And that they, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's something is wrong. Right. And even if there's, you know, do the things that could save her life. And if those things don't work, then be like, okay, you really have to go. Right. You don't have to give her pain medication. Right. But you should take some additional steps. Right. And choose some treatments to see if her pain goes away. She shouldn't go to jail. The last thing you should do is send her to jail. So the Davis family filed a lawsuit that accused St. Mary's of wrongful death, false arrest, and imprisonment, and the city eventually paid the family $568,750. Not enough. No. No. 
Anna's mother took custody of her two children and they seemed to be doing well, all things considered. Mm. At the time the article was written, Anna's son was put into counseling to help him cope with her passing and was earning A's and B's in school. Mm. Her daughter would often kiss the photo of her mother on a t-shirt that her grandmother wore. (laughs) And that is the first story. The story of the fucking psychotic, awful, preventable, abusive death of Anna Brown. That's so awful. So awful. I just, I don't know. I don't know. And I know. Fix things, man. Yeah, we got to fix things, man. So the next story is the equally, maybe even more horrifying story of Edith Rodriguez. In the middle of the night on May 9th, 2007, Jose Prado brought his girlfriend, 43-year-old Edith Rodriguez, to the emergency room of Los Angeles's Martin Luther King Jr. Harbor Hospital. She was in severe distress and complaining of stomach pain. Edith had been to the ER three times in three days for her pain and had previously been discharged with pain medication. On this occasion, video cameras show Edith on the floor in the fetal position, kicking her feet in agony and vomiting blood while six staff members watched or walked around her without offering any medical assistance. You are kidding me. Vomiting blood. What is happening? At one point, the janitor mopped up her blood while she continued to screaming and writhing on the floor. What? Yes. Quote, staff members walked past the patient or worked to clean the floor next to her without interacting with her. What? One staff person was observed sitting behind the financial registration window and had a view of the patient in the lobby. Wow. She just sat there. Why is this happening? <laughs> I just, it's like a horror show. Yes. It's a horror show. It's really like a, what? Yeah. Like yeah, it's like a in your American in a horror, horror show. Yeah. <laughs> like this is something that they what's that one called? American, American horror, horror story. story. Yes, this is an episode from that. Yeah, what or like a going on a bad dream where you everyone's just ignoring you while God. you're very clearly dying in a hospital on the floor. Right. Wow. At one thirty a.m., when Rodriguez was quote kicking with her feet on the floor, two staff members looked at the patient and then walked back through the door to an area within the ER. When it became clear to Jose that Edith was not going to receive help and was getting worse, he called 911 to seek additional help. Oh, no. He begged them to send someone to help her and was told repeatedly that they can't send emergency services to a hospital because she would just be taken to a hospital. Wow. 911, state emergency. Oh, yeah. Hold on a moment. Un momento. Hold on. I'm trying to get an interpreter for you, sir. Un momento. Yes. Can you find out what is the emergency is, please? Okay. My wife is uh, is dying. The nurses don't want to help her out. Okay. What do you mean she's dying? Uh, she's vomiting blood. Yeah. Okay. They're watching her. Uh, uh, they're watching her there, and they're just not doing anything. Um, paramedics are not going to pick him up or pick his wife up from a hospital because she's already at one. He needs to contact the, the, the county police officers at the security desk there. Edith and Jose remained in the ER, and sometime later, another patient called 911 after watching staff ignore her for too long. What's your emergency? It's a lady on the on the ground, uh, and here in the emergency room, and they are overlooking her. What would you want me to do for you, ma'am? Send an ambulance out here to take her somewhere where she can get medical help. Okay, you're at the you're at the hospital, ma'am. You have to contact them. They have they have a problem. They won't help her. Down all down on the ground. Well, that, ma'am, I, I cannot do anything for you for the quality of, of the hospital there. This this line is for emergency purposes only. It's not an emergency. It is not an emergency, ma'am. It is. It is not an emergency. Okay, well, that's not a criminal thing. This line, 911, is used for emergency purposes only. Life threatening emergencies. It is not. Okay? May God strike you too for acting the way you do that. No, negative, ma'am. You're, you're the one. What the fuck? 
Yes. No, you are. Like, what the fuck? Right. This you don't you don't get to argue with people, sir. Mm-hmm. And I know. <laughs> who do you call? Who do who helps you? Well, like, nobody what do apparently. You do? Nobody. What do you do? Nothing. Call the I president. Go find a different doctor. That I is don't know. the scariest scenario I can probably possibly imagine. No. Well, and I assume that they were like pleading for help, and they were just yes, not doing it. Yeah. Like how? How is that possible? I can't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming she, you know, was being obnoxious, or you know, just like rubbed them the wrong way. I don't know. I don't care. like. So what? No, I mean, it's not an wow. excuse, but I'm assuming yeah. that that was, you know, there's just something happened. Well, and I'll tell you a little bit more about the hospital too, because yeah. this is <laughs> this is not an isolated incident. Oh God, I'm thinking, and this isn't to take away from her experience at all. I I was really sick once. I went to immediate care, and. I had like bronchitis or something, but I was really, really sick and it needed help. Yeah. But I remember I was in the waiting room for hours. Yeah. And I would, I would get up and I'd be like, I am dizzy. Like, I don't think I can sit anymore. Is there mm-hmm. somewhere I can just lay down and wait? And she was like, nope, can't do it. Just got to wait your turn. There's more serious things happening back here. And I was like, okay. You know, they just make yeah. you feel so small and helpless. And yes, like I was on the verge of tears by the time that somebody finally took me and gave me yeah. antibiotics you know, it's well, like, just like endless stories of and we'll talk about this at the end of this too but yeah. just endless stories of people not being cared for properly oh, not being awful. believed yeah anyway back to this fucking nightmare <sighs> so at another point police found edith crying out for help on the benches in front of the hospital and brought her into the triage nurse, Linda Rutten, who refused to escalate her emergency to get her help more quickly. Why? Not only did the nurse not help Edith, she complained to police that she'd been causing a disturbance in the waiting room, so police ran a computer search, realized Mm. she had an outstanding warrant for a parole violation related to a drug charge, Mm -mm. and decided to bring her into custody. Shut up. Can you believe that? No. I'm this woman's vomiting blood. Wow. And they're like, well, can't, you know, the law's the law. Better bring her in. Arrest all of them. Seriously. Arrest everybody. Seriously. I'm so disgusted. And then I'm going to let them lay on the floor and I'm not even going to check on them. Mm-hmm. Soon after they took her into custody, she stopped breathing and died of a perforated bowel. Jesus, Lord, help me. A perforated I... bowel. Can you even imagine how fucking painful that is? No. No. I couldn't sit in the waiting room with bronchitis. Like, no. No. I just, uh uh-uh. Please. Please. At first, quote, letters of expectation were issued to most of the staff members who neglected to offer Edith any medical care or seek out alternative options for services who could. Mm -mm. The letters outlined how the staff were expected to react in the future and were the only form of discipline issued to the staff who watched Edith clearly suffering and eventually dying. What? They wrote them strongly worded letters. They didn't. That was it. Please tell me they did more. Well, the janitor was, quote, verbally counseled, and the triage nurse was put on leave, and eventually she resigned. That was... Arrest her. Yes. She's negligent. Like, arrest her right... Take away her credentials at the very minimum. At least. At the very minimum. So King Harbor was cited by the federal government for violating the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, which requires hospitals to screen and stabilize all patients seeking emergency care. Quote, Mm -hmm. in a written response, hospital officials said they had made changes such as adding training for emergency room staff improving methods for logging patients seeking treatment and posting additional signs advising patients of their right to a medical exam. She knew she had a right to a medical exam. That's why she was sitting outside of the hospital screaming for someone to help her. I just can't even. They also claimed hospital staff would start doing sweeps of the waiting room to make sure all patients were being tended to and that the police would need to get medical clearance before taking patient into custody. Wow. Quote, it's really hard to explain how something this bad could happen. John R. Cochran, the health department's chief deputy director, told the board of supervisors at a briefing. 
Nobody faulted the policies in place. Nobody faulted the procedures in place. What they faulted was the person who failed to do the work, he said. And, and not very much. They didn't, they didn't fault no, them very well. No. As it turns out, Edith's case wasn't the first instance of patient mistreatment or neglect, not by a long shot. Mm. For the three and a half years before Edith made her fatal trip to the King Harbor Emergency Room, the hospital had closed its trauma center, disciplined hundreds of workers, slashed services significantly, and reduced its inpatient beds from 200 to just 48. Wow. Because they couldn't get it together. So they just kept reducing the number of services that they were allowed to perform because they were performing them so terribly. Wow, that's terrifying. Right? Quote, S. Kimberly Baishi, the state's health and human services secretary, said she thought the hospital was making a lot of progress toward correcting its problems, at least until Edith's death. Uh, uh. Quote, we are also taken aback by the recent incidences at MLK Harbor, Belshi said. It does call into question the extent to which meaningful progress has been, in fact, made. Right. After Edith died, after being so blatantly ignored and neglected, officials began to wonder if more harm would be done by leaving the hospital open than it would be by closing it. Mm-hmm. Quote, when do the dangers associated with keeping the hospital open outweigh the dangers of this hospital closing, she asked. That's a very important balancing act. Close it. I just like how the, this is serving a community, you know? People right. who need health care, but they're right. like, we have to close it because they're killing people. Right. Instead, they walk into this terrible dystopian future. Yeah. Of fucking hell. It's just so hard. I, I mean, I know you, I, a very critical part of being a healthcare provider is compartmentalization. You have right. to be able to disassociate to a certain extent. You have to be able to compartmentalize because that is this very stressful job. Right. But I still think that is just level 90 crazy compartmentalization to just be able to just sit there and stare at a person who's clearly dying on your floor Uh, and not even like come over and give her up some ice or something, you know? No, it's awful. Well, and like so bad that other people are calling 911. Right. Like it's so bad. Right. That's not normal. That's not okay. No. So this story does have a bit of a happy ending for once, and poor Edith's death was not for nothing. Thank God. Thank God. So historically, the Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital was opened as a response to the 1965 Watts riots, which occurred as a result of lack of services and resources in the historically low-income area. Mm Mm-hmm. Quote, they needed jobs and they needed medical facilities in this area, said Alice Harris, a longtime Watts resident, who added that several children died from asthma-related symptoms simply because the closest medical care facility was too far away. Oh, no. Quote, if you want to kill a community, kill the medical care. That kills the community. Yeah. Initially, the hospital was a huge step forward for the suffering community who could finally seek medical attention in their own neighborhood instead of having to travel by ambulance to Torrance to receive treatment. But by the 2000s, the stories of the horrors of the once great hospital began to emerge and residents began to refer to the establishment as, quote, Killer King. Edith's death was the last straw for the rapidly declining hospital, and it was closed in 2007. And when I was research, yeah, when I was researching this case, um, the LA Times did a huge series on the hospital. So God. they, yeah, they really exposed what was going on Good. in there. It was Thank God for journalists, man. Seriously, seriously. Quote, with the city closing it, it looked as if Martin Luther King had died again, Alice Harris said. That really hurt. Mm. It would. I mean, it's like yeah. all these residents are suffering and dying and not being taken seriously and not receiving the care they need. And then you just close the hospital, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, well, then you just don't get a hospital. Luckily, eight years after Killer King was taken down, Watts received a new, smaller, but state-of-the-art hospital on the same campus the previous one had operated on. Quote, Dr. Mitchell Katz, director of Los Angeles County Department of Health Services, said the new MLK hospital is, quote, built on a completely different model than the old hospital. It's also one that was inspired by Obamacare. Quote, under the Affordable Care Act, one of the things that was recognized is that if you want to expand access, you have to also bring down the cost of health care, Katz said. 
The best way to do that is to provide people with the care they need in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. The new facility offers preventative care and services about 950 residents per day. Wow. Quote, we got something that Beverly Hills doesn't have. Alice Harris said, they don't have nothing that big and nothing that pretty. (sighs) No. (laughs) Edith's family also received a $3 million settlement from the hospital after her death. May the poor tortured thing rest in peace. It should have been like 300 million, but I know. I know. Poor thing. Poor thing. It is one of the scariest things I've ever heard. I think, honestly, I mean, you think about the terror of being alone and, you know, being and dying or being murdered or something. And you have no way to get help, but you're like, well, you know, this is this, I did my best and this is the end, but then to be able to get to the place that is designed to save your life and to die there. And those circumstances is not even die there to be brought to like to be arrested well yes again like, yes like you're laying yeah. there you're like i'm obviously dying i know i am dying and the police are like you have to come with us ma'am you have yeah what the dispatcher is like no you are oh my I, god i just can't i know no this it never should have those poor people no. and the trauma of being the other people there that i can't do anything and her poor poor boyfriend oh god so how often do people die of preventable deaths in hospitals? <laughs> a lot. A yeah. lot. In 2016, researchers from John Hopkins Hospital published the results of a comprehensive study on medical errors, which estimated that medical errors result in 250,000 deaths each year. Mm-hmm. The Hopkins study was published May 3rd, 2016 in the BMJ. This estimate ranks medical malpractice as the third leading cause of death in the United States behind heart disease and cancer. Wow. Third. That's astonishing. Isn't it? Yep. I thought it would be like 75th or something. (laughs) Third. No. So then this next bit is just verbatim from the GASH Law website. If you were to ask most medical professionals whether they consider themselves racist and whether racism affects how they treat their patients, they would most likely tell you racism plays no role in their medical practice. Multiple recent studies have shown subtle forms of racism that physicians, particularly white doctors experiencing professional burnout, exhibit toward black and African American patients. These issues include a perception of black patients as having higher pain tolerance and being more likely to engage in drug-seeking behaviors. Mm -hmm. The combination of those prejudices may lead physicians to not listen when African-American patients complain of serious medical symptoms. This bias means that fewer Black patients receive proper referrals for early testing related to heart conditions. It can also lead to unnecessary physical suffering that can exacerbate other medical conditions when physicians won't prescribe adequate pain management. The Harvard Medical Practice Study found, quote, there were significant differences between hospitals that serve a predominantly minority population and other hospitals. That is, Blacks were more likely to be hospitalized at institutions with more adverse events and higher rates of negligence. So adverse events, obviously meaning they go in and they don't come out. Right. According to a 2002 study by the National Academy of Sciences Institute of Medicine, Quote, a consistent body of research demonstrates that U.S. racial and ethnic minorities are less likely to receive even routine medical procedures and experience a lower quality of health services. Mm-hmm. The Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, a division of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, found, quote, blacks received poorer quality of care than whites in 43% of the core measures. And, quote, disparities in quality and access to care are growing whiter in the Hispanic population. Mm-hmm. Racial and ethnic minorities are uninsured more often than non-Hispanic whites, a status that frequently results in less adequate care. A study by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation found that compared with the insured, those without health coverage who are hospitalized are more likely to receive fewer services, experience second-rate care, and die in the hospital. so awful. I know. And the hospital location with the highest proportion of negligent adverse events was the emergency department, where people without health insurance often go for primary care. Mm -hmm. And so 
bottom line, you are all going to die of hospitals. (laughs) (laughs) Can you believe that shit? Well, I mean, yes and no. I can't. I'm, I'm unfortunately I have to say yes because right. our healthcare system is so fucked. Yes. And our systemic ra- racist problem is so fucked up. And, yes. Um I mean I know they they're finding that black and brown people are dying so much more of covid and it's not because it, it's affecting them more. Right. As people it's because they can't have access to medical care and they're not believed and they're not taken seriously and yep. they're they have more underlying health conditions mm-hmm. because they haven't been able to get treatment for them. And mm-hmm. then they paired with COVID is a death mm-hmm. sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So it's a big problem in the maternity huge. section to a huge problem. I yes. know as a doula, it was a big thing that when I lived in Oregon, they were really trying to figure out and it's yep. a pro- big problem all over the country. It's just a big problem, guys. <laughs> it's a big problem. And I, applaud people who are healthcare professionals. I mean, especially right fucking now, but in general, that is a very difficult job. I can't, I just can't. Uh, My friends who are nurses or doctors, and we talk about the things they go through. Like we have friends who are pediatric nurses in like the, you know, the um, terminal, they deal with terminal Mm -hmm. case, you know, just things that I cannot begin to fathom the stress and anxiety and trauma of doing that day in and day out. But also healthcare professionals need to be given resources to perform their jobs adequately, you know, and not get to the point where they can just stare at a woman vomiting Mm -hmm. blood and feel nothing because they're so beat down and burnt out and desensitized to it that they just are like, eh, she's just trying to get attention or whatever was going through that woman's mind. Oh, there you go. There you go, guys. Well, babies, I'm sorry, but when I started reading more about it, I was like, Ooh, this is a big, big, big fucking bummer. And it's definitely yep. some shit that we need to be talking about. And I'm yep. endlessly sorry for Anna and Edith's families. Like just so sorry. Endlessly. It's sickening. No, it's yeah. It's a complete nightmare. I can't even imagine. Like, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I <laughs> just, I will never, I, I, I listened to that podcast, Dr. Death. Did you ever listen to that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I had just like the bile rising up in my throat the whole time because it's, <laughs> yeah, so, it's, it's so awful. It scared me so much. Stuff like that mm. just scares me in a different way and not a fun, tingly way. You know? Right. Like, and that guy, you know, he was just actually like a psycho. He was a psychopath that <laughs> convinced people he was a doctor to mutilate them and kill them. Yeah. But this shit. It's just spooky. It it Mm -hmm. just scares me. It scares me to think that I can go into the hospital and I won't be taken care of. Right. I've saw it. I mean, I didn't see it a lot. I wouldn't say as a doula, but my main job I felt most often was to just sit and watch and pay attention and advocate in a way of, oh, wait, actually, what, Mm -hmm. you know, like, can we take a pause for a minute even? Like, we don't need to rush into things. Let's talk about it. And um, it's not that the doctors or nurses, had ill will against the people sure. I was working with, but it, the system set up in a way to get it done and to go and go and go and right. to not look at people as individuals as much. And, right. You know, so definitely, you know, I found it was just my job to kind of be there and yeah. pay attention and make sure that these families were getting the care they deserved. Yep. Um, you know. Yeah. Because so. you don't, you assume that you don't know what's best. You assume that the mm-hmm. doctors know Right. Well, we've, what we've been to told, happen. right? Yeah, right. They're the experts. Yep. I know. I say all the time that we need doulas in all realms of the hospital system. So, absolutely. You just need somebody who comes in who knows the system, who isn't a part of the system that can help you navigate through it to yes. know that you're making the best choices for yourself and what your options are. Yeah. That makes a huge difference. A hundred percent. People need to be okay with advocating for themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish there was, there is something uh, I had to Google it, but you can say, Oh, I think you just asked for it in writing. So if you're in the hospital and they're like, no, I don't think you need that. If you say to the doctor, okay, I would like for you to put that in writing. 
you know, that you mm-hmm. refuse me that treatment, then ta-da, you get your treatment real fast. Yeah, so that's, that's something clever. to be aware of. I also find, like, I'm a, I'm a skinny girl. I'm like a 12-year-old boy skinny. I've always been skinny. <laughs> I will probably always be skinny. I have a really high metabolism, and I don't do anything, you know, really. I mean, I work out because I have anxiety, but it doesn't take – it. it's not – I do not deserve a fucking gold star for being this skinny. I just my body. Mm-hmm. And I do find that doctors praise it all the mm-hmm. time. They make assumptions about who I am and my lifestyle choices based on my body type. And I'm like, yeah. you of all people should know that every body is different. And like, you can yeah. come out with a big body and it's never going to be small. Right. You know? Right. Well, coming from a woman on the opposite end, that's always been plus size my whole life. Yeah. And I've had this opposite, but similar reaction where they make assumptions on my lifestyle because of my size. It's disgusting. Yep. It's disgusting. Like, well, you can tell that you are really healthy. I'm like, no, I'm not. I drink a lot, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or whatever. (laughs) I mean, I'll say, okay, to get that out of me, you know, not really, I'm not trying to drug seek you guys i really need it but (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. works in your favor and for people that yeah it's just so fucked up that that they look at you and perceive what they want to believe rather than yeah and that i'm more deserving of their care you know that Mm -hmm. i've tried harder in this world to be healthy and so i am more deserving of their time and attention and it's like that's fucking terrible it's stupid and i I hate it i hate it when it comes up because i'm like you don't know anything about me. And in fact, right. I could have some things that are really wrong with me that you're not even going to investigate because you assume right. that assuming. I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's way, 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 way worse in the opposite direction. But it is it is something that stands out to me every time I go in. And so yeah. if you are in the healthcare profession, I applaud you because you're a fucking saint. And a, I don't know how you Bad do ass. it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just we I mean, in every area of all of our lives right now, I think we're all checking in with those internal biases that we have mm-hmm. that we just cannot help. And so next time it comes up, please just take a pause and think, is this something that I need to explore more because I'm just annoyed or I'm assuming something about this person based on these factors and I don't actually know anything about it. And I need to investigate further. And, nope. you know, why not try a series of things that could help this person. If those things don't work, then you can escalate the situation to calling a mental health professional or, you know. Sure. And that's the other thing. Like, call a mental institution. If somebody's just acting like a crazy person, like, right. you know, don't get call a the mental police. health professional. Yes. Yeah. Because then they could at least still be in a hospital under observation with somebody who's trained to take care of people who are in crisis and medical crisis, mm-hmm. you know, because if she is drug seeking, the other thing is she's probably going to fucking start to detox, which could also kill her. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Oy, 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 oy. We love you guys. And yes, we uh, do. take care of each other. Please. If you yeah. need Sadie to doula for you. I will mm-hmm. call me. You got questions about your gallbladder. Yeah. I'll do my best. Yeah. You got a baby in that uterus? Definitely give me a call. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. And if you just need somebody to come in and be like, you don't fucking know her, and you better back up and get your ass back there and get her some blood thinner, I will do that. I will be so happy to do that. Oh, my God. No. I've been thinking, uh, I think it was on HBO, they did like a little mini documentary about Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had blood clots after giving birth oh, shit. to her baby, and she couldn't get them to pay attention to her. Oh, my God. And almost died. So if Serena Williams can't get proper oh, med- medical God. care, like, that's what we're up against here, you guys. That's a serious problem, let alone yep, a woman coming in a little died. disheveled. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. From living on the streets. Oy, oy, oy. Yep. So, well, thanks for doing that one, Court. It's so important. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> you thank you welcome. for reacting um, in interesting ways because oh, that's the hardest yeah. part about this story. <laughs> I did my best. I did my best. Yep, I'm the true deep. hero in this situation. I, I could hear the difference between you're like, Ugh, and, ah, and, oh, God, <laughs> you really put some variations Good. in there, really mixed it up. <laughs> you know, I am a professional podcaster, <laughs> yes. if you have not noticed. <laughs> 
<laughs> I would. I been we training should. this for my. I've been training for this my whole life. That's right. So, for six months. Yeah. <laughs> we should start a podcast reaction seminar. True crime Seriously. podcast reaction seminar. Right. I know I could use that for sure. Yeah. We need to start a support group with other podcasters. Yeah. It's like, what would you say to this sentence? A, nothing. B, uh-huh. son of a bitch. C. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you How many it? times can you say the same thing before your listeners turn your show off? Yes, exactly. Um, Probably one one thing in our case <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah uh, negative things they just don't know anyway. yeah <laughs> that's not true it's at all got very self-deprecating lovely... <laughs> no <laughs> anyway you guys we love you and we love you so much we miss you and oh my god our giveaway is oh yeah giveaway probably happening right now yes it will be happening right now when this is recording i'm going to launch it on tuesday i think we'll draw toward the end of the week yep look for the details on instagram at twitter kill twitter at they will kill facebook at they will kill you can go to our website theywillkill.com and you can always email us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com great review subscribe yes yeah yeah yeah. yeah, thank you, AJ Bergantz, for your music. We love you, we AJ. Love you. We do so much. Go check him out on Spotify, please. Yeah. And remember, just if you see somebody struggling, do something if you can to relieve their struggling, their suffering. Please. It's do it. It's probably not that hard. No, definitely not. We can at least try. You might not be able to take it away, but you can you can check in. I think that trying to help people ease their suffering really goes a long way in easing someone's suffering yes even if you can't solve the problem in its entirety like you just said Mm -hmm. i think that that sentiment just fucking ripples out into the universe exponentially and makes this place a better fucking place couldn't agree more and certainly makes that person's that moment in their life better especially if they're about to die Mm -hmm. you know be kind. be kind. Be kind. Be yep. kind. Be kind. Yep. We and love you so much. We love you oh. too. We love you too. <laughs> we love you too. <laughs> Bye, babies. Uh, see you on the other side. Goodbye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.